Let me begin to answer my skeptics. Amos chapter 3. From the Old Covenant writings before Jesus. Amos chapter 3 verse 7. Surely, absolutely, unequivocally, without question, denial, or debate. Surely God will do nothing unless he reveals it first to his servants, the prophets. Let it sink in. Surely he will do nothing except tell you when he's coming again. Is that what it says? It's not at all what it says. It says, surely, I'm going to walk a little slowly with you. Surely, God will not do anything unless he tells his servants, the prophets, first. Is his word true or not? John 17, 17. Father, sanctify them through your truth, your word. Your word is truth. Just want you to chew on that for a moment. We'll move on to the New Testament text. Mark chapter 13, verses 31 through 33. This is going to make a whole lot of you real happy. Heaven and earth are going to pass away. But my words will not pass away. But concerning that day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven. Well, first of all, men are created beings above angels. Your Bible says, what is man that thou art mindful of him, the son of man that thou visitest him? Thou hast crowned him with glory and made him a little lower than Yahweh a little lower than God. So between God and humanity, between God and angels is humanity. Closest to God made in his image, human persons. Look at your neighbor and say, you look just like God. Concerning that day or hour, no one knows. So point your finger at me. Come on, you've been doing it all week. Point your finger at me. Come on and say, you couldn't possibly know when Jesus is coming again. The Bible says so. Your problem, dear one, is you don't Understand that the Bible must be interpreted in the light and revelation of all the rest of the Bible. So what are you going to do with Amos chapter 3 and verse 7? That God won't do anything until he first reveals it to his servants, the prophets. How will you reconcile Amos chapter 3 and Mark chapter 13? Well, here's how. But only the Father knows the day and the hour. Take heed, watch, and pray. So before you commented, you should have watched and you should have prayed. For you do not know the time 
when he will come. This is what is commonly referred to as a paradox. You can write this down in the flyleaf of your Bible. Show it off to everybody that you know a $50 word. Paradox. A paradox is a seeming contradiction. I was having lunch at a, at a city park one day and I was there on the picnic bench reading my Bible. It'll always gain the attention of skeptics and believers alike. It's been a while since they've seen one. There I was reading my Bible and a man walks up to him and he pats the Bible and he says, the Bible, it's a good book. I said, yes, it is. His response was, yeah, but it's full of contradictions. Hmm. I said, is that right? I've been studying it now for over 50 years. I haven't found one. How about you point one out to me? He just said, you're going to eat all that banana. I said, no, I figured I'd give it to another atheist that came along like you. Anyway, this is a paradox. Let's clear things up. Now, God often uses a paradox like this as a part of his method. God wants to stimulate your intellect. Look at your neighbor and say, don't check your mind at the door. He wants to stimulate our intellect. He wants to ignite our interest. He puts things in the Bible for no other reason than to see if you will take the time to search them out. Instead of just believing whatever is spoon-fed to you in a Sunday morning service or on the internet somewhere. So here's a paradox. I do not deny that no man knows the day nor the hour when he will come. I do not deny that, have never denied that. So why do you deny that I know exactly when he's coming? Because you lack understanding and you seek to interpret Pharisees and Sadducees the letter of the law without ever not igniting, turning the ignition switch. See, I can edit that and you'll never know the difference. To turn the ignition switch on your spirit man. Those that have responded negatively now to me for three weeks around the world have yet to engage their spirit. They want everything black and white letter. Can I do this? Is it legal to do that? Shall I do this? Well, I heard they did that. They're never going to heaven because of this. They're going to hell because of that. Legalism. The cadencing creeds and rigors of religiosity. This is a paradox. 
I refuse to stick my head in the sand like some kind of spiritual ostrich and say I cannot understand. Of course I can understand. All I need is the illuminating and lightning power of the Holy Spirit to speak to me instead of the dead letter of the law. Now that we've cleared that up, December 17th, 1938, 80 years ago, a German chemist discovered something called nuclear fission. It dealt with the splitting of the atom. Now news of that discovery spread very, very quickly and led to great and overwhelming speculation of an entirely new category of weaponry that had now been discovered that could be planet ending. Well, that speculation was proven to be a grim reality as a result of an American program called the Manhattan Project, which created two different types of atomic bombs used in August of 1945 to hasten the end of World War II. 1946 then, scientists involved in the Manhattan Project published a magazine called The Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists. A year later, 1947, they depicted a clock. On the cover of that magazine, and they called it the doomsday clock. It represented the danger of the new nuclear age. It was set at that point at seven minutes till midnight, midnight being the end of the world according to their scientific calculations. Since then, it's been reset back and forth time and time again, representing the changing threat levels in the world. It was set at two minutes to midnight in 1953 when hydrogen bombs were first tested. In 2018, it was reset again to its lowest point in history at two minutes to midnight, reflecting the continuing threats to humanity's existence on planet Earth. Two minutes to midnight is where the doomsday clock remains today. Please understand, they're not dealing in the spiritual. They never consider a letter or word from God's Bible, but only upon the highest of scientific calculations, they have calculated that in a 24-hour cycle, we have two minutes left until what we know as human existence will forever fade into history. Two minutes to midnight. How much longer? Can this spinning blue marble planet of ours continue? How long until the worst calculations of these learned scientists become a reality, resulting in the end of the world as we know it? I'm sure some of you are old enough as I am to remember that in elementary school, 
after nuclear fission was understood and after we learned to split the atom and there was nuclear proliferation around the world. Every school building had a little radioactive sign on the outside of it. It seemed that every single week the bell would ring three times in a row which signaled one thing, incoming nuclear disaster. At that moment, I was trained to do one of two things, dive under my desk and there cover my head. Can you imagine? Elementary schools all over America at the same time, on the same day, going through drills, diving under their desks. Or we were given a signal that that wouldn't be good enough and they calculated that we had enough time to get into the school's fallout shelter underground. So off we would go, leaving our books, leaving our lunch boxes, down the hallways, around the corner, down into the basement, through a long corridor, and into a sealed room where the teacher would slam the door shut behind us. Two minutes to midnight. Today's threat no longer limited to stockpiles of nuclear weapons and nuclear missiles in the hands of completely unstable regimes, madmen sitting at the button. Nuclear weapons can now be transported in a device no larger than a common attache case, large enough to destroy America in one blast. Diseases for which our best doctors seem to have absolutely no answers, no cures, continue to proliferate, defying the very best efforts of medical professionals and biological and chemical agents have now been developed that can disseminate and decimate entire populations with just one waft of the wind. Toxins, pollutants now fill our waterways, carried upon the waters, blowing in the winds, millions worldwide. No wonder the doomsday clock is ticking toward one minute to midnight. But who has the answers? Isn't that why you're here today? Isn't that why there's religion to begin with? Who has the answer? Isn't that why we build universities and colleges? Isn't that why we study and we wring our hands? Isn't that why we watch the evening news? Who has an answer? We've looked to governments. <laughs> Woo. I'd rather watch the Three Stooges to try to find an answer. They don't have an answer. They can't walk and chew gum. We've looked to scientists. They don't have any answers. We've heard from talking heads and we've listened to all the news anchors of every ideological stripe and political persuasion. They don't have any answers. They're just trying to get ratings. We've heard the ramblings of philosophers and pundits and poets. 
and done internet searches galore. <laughs> We've listened to every schemer on social media and found none of them have the answer. But just because they don't have an answer does not mean there is no answer. Men's hearts are failing them for fear for one simple reason. They have ignored, they have rejected, they have spurned the only true source of solace for every seeking soul in the world today. The reason men have found no answers is quite frankly because we've been looking in all the wrong places. We've been looking for answers around us in this world and my answer today will not come from this world. My answer will come from God who transcends this world and time itself. But who has condescended to intervene in the affairs of men. He is bending the lines of history right now to bring it all to a conclusion. A conclusion that will align with his word and that conforms to his will. Let me quote mm, one of the most controversial figures in history. If he said a word today, it would immediately go viral. Some dismiss him as a crank. A crackpot, crazy, and his followers, even worse. Just ask Jimmy Kimmel. Just ask those that consider anyone that holds to the Bible as having any relevancy. They have already categorized you unintelligent, backwoods, knuckle-dragging Neanderthals who need the government to make a way for them. Bless their little unintelligent hearts. Some Revere him as a radical, a revolutionary. Some say he was just a good man, willing to live and die for a noble cause. Some say he never even existed at all. Some say he's nothing more than the product of the lively imaginations of hopeless and helpless hordes of humanity. These are his words spoken to eyewitnesses more than 2,000 years ago. Hear his words, mark them well. The statements was recorded in an ancient manuscript that has withstood the test of time. These are his, his words, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, said Jesus, believe also in me, for in my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I go away to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will receive you unto myself so that where I, Jesus, am, 
there you can be also. His name was Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And he said he was coming back again. All my critics, I, I've heard them for weeks. They're all crying out. My skeptics are all scoffing that no one knows when the end will come. After all, they point out, and I might add rightly so, that some who anticipate his coming have said they knew when he was coming ever since Jesus took his leave off this people planted on that post-resurrection morning from the Mount of Olives outside of Jerusalem. Well, let's look back through history. As early as 500 years after Jesus' second advent and resurrection from the dead, theologians had already begun their prognostications, their predictions. The first one that was developed that went worldwide in a fevered pitch was that Jesus would come exactly 500 years after he was resurrected. Why? Because they did calculations of the dimensions, the height, the width, the depth, the weight of Noah's Ark and determined that those calculations led to the absolute fact that Jesus would come 500 years after his resurrection. I think they missed it something like 1,500 years so far. Pope Sylvester II of the Holy Roman Catholic Church predicted that Jesus would return 1,000 years after his birth on January 1st in the year 1000. When that failed, they decided that he'd return 1,000 years after his death. Just move it 33 years. The Jehovah's Witnesses, <laughs> they are masters at date setting. First, he was coming in 1914. Then he was coming in 1925. Then in the year by graduation from high school, he was coming in 1975. A former engineer for NASA wrote a book called 88 Reasons Why Jesus Will the rapture will take place in 1988. I'm, maybe I'm just doing this to try to sell a book or two. Because when he said Jesus was coming in 1988, in 1987, he sold four and a half million copies. And none of it was true. My great mentor and pastor, the late Dr. Lester Sumrall, said with tongue in cheek and a little chuckle. A lot of preachers were sure disappointed. Remember, he lived over 80 years preaching this gospel. He said, I've seen it all, Rod. They all came and they all went. All the date setters are gone. They predicted, first of all, that Hitler was the Antichrist and he died. Then it was Mussolini and then Stalin and all the rest, and they've all died. Nearly every American president, do you deny this? Nearly every American president in history, especially the most recent five, 
have had preachers out the yin yang. <laughs> right? Okay. Including, including the most recent one, all the calculations are in. George W. Bush was the Antichrist. Oops. Jo George Herbert Walker Bush, he was the Antichrist. Oop. Barack Obama, he was the Antichrist. Donald Trump. He's the Antichrist. Everybody just say, oh, come. Ashton tried to teach me to do it. I, did, I didn't get it very well. Most recently, I'm sorry to explain to you that the modern church and its legalism have now dubbed none other than Barney the dinosaur <laughs> as the Antichrist. I will now share with you the overwhelming intellectual reasoning that has brought us to this point. Barney, of course, is a cute purple dinosaur. Well, if you replace the Latin V for the letter U in those words, cute purple dinosaur, you get C-V-T-E, P-V-R-P-L-E dinosaur. Now, if you just take all but the Roman letters that stand for numbers, C-V-V-L-D-I-V, add up the values of those numbers, 100 plus 5 plus 5 plus 50 plus 500 plus 1 plus 5, you come up with the number, you guessed it, 666. No more Barney. <laughs> Parents and teachers, please note, this is a joke. Barney is not the Antichrist. Who could forget Y2K? Help us all, God. And all the chicken littles running around the sky is falling. When the clock turns over from December 31st, 1999 to January 1st, 2000, every computer system controlling everything in the world was going to have a nerve de breaking. Going to lose their minds. The power grid would crash. Airplanes would veer off their courses. Your car wouldn't start. I had a neighbor. They immediately brought, bought chickens. They immediately built a fallout shelter. They immediately got pigs. They immediately got turkeys. They filled their basement with every can good you can. Well, my goodness, Jim Baker's still making a living off of it. Listen. Preppers. Everybody getting ready. But 
and the celebration in Times Square was on. We stepped right into the new millennium without one single issue. I saw a greeting card the other day. I think I'll start publishing them. It said, I don't mean to brag or anything, but so far I've survived five end of the worlds. Now, Jesus said there'd be signs, wars, rumors of wars, pestilence, earthquakes, natural disasters. I don't think we could, anyone, deny that all of those things are true. ISIS is known for killing dozens of people at a time, carrying out public executions, hangings, crucifixions, beheadings. Las Vegas the deadliest mass shooting in United States history. On a Sunday evening, 500 were injured, 58 left dead as a madman fired into a crowd of 22,000 people at a concert from the 32nd floor of the Mandalay Bay Hotel. I ask you, where are you safe? We are on the verge, on the brink, on the edge of this thing winding down or up, however you choose to view your glass half full or half empty. Marjorie Stone, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School, Parkland, Florida, February 14th, we just celebrated the infamous anniversary where 17 children were murdered by a 19-year-old. Hurricane Harvey, 82 dead in a thousand year flooding, followed by three other category four hurricanes at one time for the first time in history, 73 dead and two earthquakes and tsunamis in Mexico killing 261. 90% of Puerto Rico was destroyed. Indonesia earthquake and tsunami, 2,256 people died. California wildfires last year claimed 86 lives and 19,000 structures were destroyed. Political and racial division has escalated at a fevered pitch. The Center for Disease Control warns every parent of a devastating quick-onset virus similar to the polio virus among children that is coming without warning. Your child will develop a fever. In just a few short days, your child will be paralyzed. There is no cure. There is no known cause. There is no treatment. Children, four, five, six years old, perfectly normal one day and paralyzed for the rest of their life the next day. It's a very strange thing. It happens every two years on even numbered years. It happens between the months of September, late August, September, October, and is gone by late November. 
And for years they've studied it. No cause, no treatment, no cure. Our children are simply falling down, paralyzed as if they had acquired polio. Human trafficking, right here in our own city, one of the greatest hubs in the United States, Vanessa, a young girl here in Columbus, was molested from the time she was four years old to the time she was 12 years old. You want to ask me how close to the end we are? We are at one minute. When grown men will pay to molest five, six, seven, eight-year-old children, Vanessa was trafficked into the sex trade right here in our city. Her trafficker, incidentally, was married with two children. Sounds like modern preachers. He owned rental properties around the city. Vanessa was given a number. That number was so that men could reach out to her and order her by the hour for $200 an hour. She became addicted to heroin, attempted suicide, ordered into a recovery program. She broke free in that program from her oppressors. She beat her addiction. She changed her life. She now works at a government agency in Franklin County, Columbus, Ohio. The judge who ordered her into recovery says that he grants search warrants for every hotel in his hometown and finds human traffickers in every single one. How close to the end are we, you ask? <sighs> Proverbs thirteen twelve says, hope deferred. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. More than ever, people are asking, weary, worn, tired people are asking, and pronouncing it's just hopeless every election cycle it's hopeless every time we turn on the news it's hopeless every time we hear beheadings and hangings it's hopeless in fact we become numbed to it all we try to cover it up with needles in our arms or drinks before we go to bed. We try to cover it up with activity. Daniel said in the last day, men will run to and fro. Isn't it interesting? We know more and understand less. We go faster and we end up nowhere. We build solid, strong houses, but we have weak, sick homes. Preachers can't even keep their marriages together. 
and then go on platforms and expect congregations to praise them for their adultery. And they do. What's going on? Fear and trepidation, hatred and murder, senselessness. White against black and black against white and both of them against Hispanic and all of them against uh, Latinos. I hate you and you hate me and that's just the way it is. Kick and knock and scrape and dig and beat your way to get another dollar bill because somewhere in that green thing there's supposed to be some peace, some happiness, some joy if I just have. Christianity has become nothing more than some kind of self-help program. No power. A form of godliness. But no power. File in and file out and sing two songs and listen to three points and go home. We walk the earth as dead men in a huge processional toward the grave. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Our children being gunned down in the streets. 8,000 of our children a day losing their virginity before their 14th birthday. Words that at one time, if you sat in a pulpit, you would get a gasp from the people. Words like adultery, pornography, things that we used to call sin that now we've dubbed our problem. Instead of hitting the altar, we're going to counseling. We're seeking the answer in all the wrong places. If I can just get a bigger house, if I can just get a bigger title, if I could just get away from that person, or you could go to God. Jesus is coming again, and I'm about to tell you when. I wanna share it with you. It's not a prediction, it's absolute truth. Now I'm not sure you're ready for it. Ask your neighbor, you think you're ready for it? He's about to tell us. I promised you I'd tell you and I will today. But before I tell you exactly when Jesus is coming, you've got to make me a promise. Everybody from the back to the front and in Elkhart and online around the world, you've got to make me a promise. You won't panic. I don't want to start something I can't control. Don't run from this great tabernacle in fear and terror. Don't allow yourself now to become hysterical. Don't have a nerve to break the. 
Don't lose control of yourself. Are you ready? Will you stay where you are until I'm finished? Okay, that was weak. I don't have to tell you. I can postpone. Will you stay there? Till I'm finished. I wrote it down here somewhere so I wouldn't forget. <laughs> Let me very quickly hit. You know, when scientists are researching, they use five things. When true newsmen and women, not these flakes we've got talking to us now, but true, true journalists use these five points. They're the, they're the five W's of life. I don't know if they've got them all on the screen or not. Maybe they do. Do you have them? Yes or no? Okay, you don't have them. Let me give them to you. They are the what, where, when, why. There's one added that makes it six called how. So let me, let me just tackle those very quickly. Who is coming? The wet water walking Jesus. The blind man healing Jesus. Matthew's Messiah and Mark's wonder worker. Luke's son of God. John's son of man. And Acts the baptizer in the Holy Ghost. In Romans my justifier. In Corinthians my sanctifier. Hallelujah. A husband to the widow and a father to the orphan. To those that walk the dark night. He's the lily of the valley. The staff of life, honey and a rock, and the bright and morning star. That blind man healing, leper cleansing man, that miracle working son of God. Came from heaven down, born in a barn because that's where a lamb ought to be born. Lived a sinless life for 33 and a half years. Three and a half years before his death, he entered his public ministry. He manifested a mastery over demons and devils and depravity and disease into the tomb of Lazarus and the widow of Nain's son. He even manifested a mastery over death itself. When this man spoke, death had to listen, sickness had to flee, and demons had to go. I'm talking about that Jesus is coming again. What where and how. Uh, let's see. He's coming, first of all, in something called the rapture of the church. What does that mean? Just like Enoch. You will be and then you will be not because God took you. Rapture drill on three. One, two, three. He's coming. Be seated.
He's coming faster than the fleetest who have ever struck a pavement, faster than a wheel ever turned upon an axle. He's coming like lightning striking out of a dark-throated storm cloud. He's coming. It won't matter if you're four miles under the crusty surface of the earth in a coal mine or flying around in a 747 at 500 miles an hour when the magnificent magnitude of his perfect person sweeps out from north to south and east to west. Make this note like metal to a magnet. You're coming out of here. The dead in Christ shall rise first and then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up into the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we forever be with the Lord. Mm-hmm. And then there'll be seven years of tribulation. Don't worry about it because you miss that whole mess. Shall I miss that mess? You don't have to be here when the world is dying and the moon is bleeding and the seas are seething under the whiplash of fury to vomit their dead into the lap of a holy God. You can miss that mess. You don't have to be here when those two witnesses walk the streets of Jerusalem and are slain by the Antichrist according to Revelation chapter 11 and they lay in the streets for three and a half days, God's holy prophets left here to preach his glorious gospel. But the Antichrist will finally slay them in the streets of Jerusalem and he will leave them lie in the middle of the street while flies and worms devour their flesh, while people spit upon them and mock them and mock the God that sent them. When suddenly CNN and Fox News cameras, ABC and CBS, and everybody with their cell phones will be focused on them with their eyes flutter. And in those raggedy three and a half day dead bodies, they stand erect on their feet. But when they stand on their feet and your Bible says the whole world will see them, This couldn't have happened 50 years ago. It couldn't have happened 100 years ago. But now it is fulfilled. Every eye shall see them. When they stand up, they're not just standing up on earth. Something's going to happen and gravity is going to lose its hold on them. The cameras are going to pan as they begin to be lifted off of this earth. And as the heavens open... And that Galilean with his long hair flapping in the heavenly breeze slides his long lean Galilean leg over a steaming white stallion. The crash of his long whip billows out like the crash of a thousand cannons. He has to turn around and tell me, Parsley, get on your own horse. Because he's coming again. And your Bible says all his saints with him. Where is he coming? He's coming to Mount Olivet. He's coming to the Mount of Olives. 
Your Bible says there will be gathered 200 million man marching army combined from China and the region of Russia that will gather themselves together in the valley of Megiddo, commonly referred to as Armageddon, where your Bible prophesies their blood will run bridle deep to a horse throughout that entire valley. When he touches his foot on the Mount of Olives, your Bible says it will split in two. And forthwith will come sweet water. I went down into the lowest regions around the Kidron Valley, just outside the Eastern Gate off Temple Mount. There I was taken by archeologists and scientists they had something to show me. They had heard me preach that day on the Mount of Olives. They said, come. Down, 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 down we went. They opened up maps. Geographical studies. Seismic response charts. They said, do you see this pastor? I said, yes, I do. It's right under the Mount of Olives. I said, what is it? He said, it's the largest freshwater body in all the Middle East, right under the Mount of Olives. They said, do you know why it's here? I said, let me quote my Bible to you. When his foot touches this mountain, it's about to split in two. And your Bible says, the bitter water of the Dead Sea will be made sweet. When he splits that mountain, water's gonna gush out of underneath it, down into the Kidron Valley, and smash into the Dead Sea and knock the end out of it and the Dead Sea will live again. At that moment, he'll turn his face toward that army. And your Bible said out of his mouth will go a sharp sword. And with it, he will smite the nations. With one word, with Apache helicopters flying overhead, with tanks roaring in the valley, with the screams of missiles and anti-aircraft warfare, one word, and your Bible said 200 million men, eyes will consume in their sockets, tongues will cleave to their mouths, and in one word, they are defeated. He comes off the Mount of Olives, down through the Kidron Valley, up through the eastern gates. Be lifted up, ye gates, which have been sealed for a thousand years. Be lifted up, ye gates, ye everlasting doors, for the King of glory shall come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord Jehovah, Jesus Hakaboth, the Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Give him praise. Give him glory. He's coming back again. And I know when.
put it up there. I want them to see it with their own eyes. This is it. When. Here it is. Luke 12, 40. So don't be thoughtless. Don't be careless. Just when you do not expect him, the Son of God will show up. Or how about this, the Living Bible. Get ready at the time, all the, be ready all the time. For I say the Messiah will come when you least expect it. Or how about the New Living Translation of this ancient book? You also must be ready. Be ready all the time. For the Son of Man will come when you least expect it. Or how about this? Be ready because the Son of Man will return when you least expect him. That is, from no less authority than our own God's own words through Jesus Christ, he is coming back again. But my focus, my focus is not the day, nor the hour, nor even the season. What's paramount for you today is simply this. Are you expecting it? Last night when you threw down your fourth drink, were you expecting it? Last week when you slapped your wife, were you expecting him? When you crawled in bed for your third illicit affair, were you expecting him? When you clicked up her images on the internet, were you expecting him? Preacher, when you snuggled in bed with a woman that was not your wife, were you expecting him? When you cursed your neighbor, were you expecting him? When you damned his name, God, were you expecting him? When you decided that you'd go to the boat ramp instead of Sunday morning, were you expecting him? When you gossip on your phone, are you expecting him? When you turn a blind eye and allow our government to pass laws to murder children after they've been born out of their mother's womb, are you expecting him when you have race hatred and bigotry and you make racial slurs? Are you expecting him when you can't get in agreement with your wife? Are you expecting him when you refuse to give to his kingdom but have money for extensions? Are you expecting Sitting there, separated from God, 
with no peace in your heart, hope in your future, your life running in shambles while you put on the mask, are you expecting him? Let me tell you what you're expecting. You're expecting that tomorrow will be just like today. Because you've been told your whole life Jesus was coming and he hasn't come yet. Keep not expecting. Don't look for his appearing. Don't pray even so come quickly, Lord Jesus. When you go home this afternoon to an unsaved spouse facing eternity in hell, will you be expecting him? When you snort another line of cocaine, will you be expecting him? When you're too busy on Wednesday night and your children have to go to school, are you expecting him? Yesterday when the Valor Christian College students were out in the streets reaching out to the desperate, the dying, the destitute. Where were you? Were you expecting him? If you really expected him, what would you do to get your family in? Everyone standing. You're expecting tomorrow. My best friend, come with me, cameras. Stay with me, you promised me you would. You say you're very intense, Pastor. I am because you're not expecting him. And that means he may come before we get out of this building. Men are running to and fro. They are not expecting him. If Jesus came today, the statistics bear out that of the seven billion people on earth, 72% of them would be hurled immediately into a devil's hell. 72%. But we got churches on every street corner and Christians buying lottery tickets of God prosper me. Are we expecting him? Preachers fighting preachers. Are we expecting him?
my best friend a few years ago was seated right down here. Y'all scoot over. He was seated right here. He was a big old boy. He was a jungle giant. He had a beard, bibbed overalls. His two children were seated right there and his wife right there. His name was Freddie. That dormitory y'all go to sleep in is named in his honor, Jude Hall. He was an 18-wheel truck driver. He loved Captain Crunch. He was as jovial a human as I've ever known. But he got away from God. He told me once, looking at a picture, he said, he said, Uncle, that's what he called me, although I was his cousin. Uncle, What's it all about? What do you mean, Freddie? Life. What is life all about? Why are we here? Well, he got involved with some folks that thought they could find the answer in the bottom of a bottle. He got away from God. But this particular Sunday, a week or two earlier, he'd given his heart back to Jesus. His whole family had come to God, and they were on the second row. His hands were lifted, tears streaming down his face and through his beard onto his bibbed overalls. I hugged him, went on up and preached. The next morning, I got a call. When you pastor thousands of people, you often get that call. Pastor Parson, we need you to come to Grant Medical Center immediately. Yes, sir. Off I went. My entry always through the emergency room. The professionals met me there. They took me down the hallway to an elevator. They said, we need you to go downstairs. Well, I'd been downstairs. The only thing downstairs from the emergency room at that time was the morgue. I said, are we going to the morgue? They said, yes. We need you to identify a body. There was a hospital gurney against a wall. Nobody there. Nobody singing. Dark. Damp ugly and there against the wall a white sheet pulled up over a big body I'd just seen him 12 hours before and I pulled the sheet back there was the angelic face of my 19 year old best friend he was just driving to work 
What was he expecting? Well, he was expecting to go to work just like you. What was he expecting? He was expecting to pick up his load and drive it to wherever they told him and hopefully get home in time to see his wife and kids for dinner and a big bowl of Captain Crunch. But a young man had an epileptic seizure, came across the center line and hit him head on. And instantly, Freddie was in eternity. I preached his funeral. One of the hardest things I ever did. But I talked about a place called heaven where we leap like a heart. I didn't have to talk about hell. A place where men gnaw their tongues for pain and the fire is never quenched. And the smoke of your torment will rise under the nostrils of God forever. I talked about heaven. Because Freddie was there. I noticed another young man, he too, a truck driver, wearing bibbed overalls, a long beard. I found out he too was an 18-wheel truck driver. He was sitting right over there. And the whole time I was talking, he was weeping. He came to the casket, grabbed a hold of that casket, weeping. And I said, what's your name, son? He said, they call me Big Tom. I said, well, Big Tom, you can see Freddie again. Why don't you just kneel down right here? Ask Jesus in your heart. He'll forgive your sins. He'll give you eternal life. His knees buckled, and I thought he was going to kneel. Instead, he turned and ran up the center aisle and out those doors. A week later, I got a call. Can we use the tabernacle for a funeral? Well, certainly. They said, you may remember the deceased. I said, well, I don't know. What's his name? They said, his name's Big Tom. Big Tom got in his 18-wheel truck Hit a patch of ice, went off the road, smashed into an overpass. His truck burst into flames and he burned to his death in eternity. Two young men, both 29 years old, not 19, 29 years old, both with families, both truck drivers, sitting right here sitting right there. Both with bibbed overalls. Both expecting tomorrow. What are you expecting? My guess is you're expecting tomorrow to be just like today. In fact, you wish tomorrow to hurry and come so you could get out of here. Your palms are sweating, you're nervous, you're rocking back and forth on your feet, you're looking around, you don't know what to do, something's stirring on the inside of you you've really never felt before. Friend, that's just the Holy Spirit 
He's standing between you and hell right now. And he's saying today is not the day to expect tomorrow. Because the Bible said tomorrow is promised to no one. Jesus is coming when you least expect him. A great attorney was meeting with a client. The client said, sir, why are you not yet a Christian? He said, I'm a drunk. The man said, I didn't ask you that. He said, well, I, I have a bad reputation. I like to run with women and I'm a married man. The client said, I didn't ask you that. I asked you why you're not yet a Christian. One of the greatest preachers that would ever live, that attorney said, I suppose, no one ever asked me. I'm asking you right now, why? Why, having heard what you've heard, would you reject Jesus again? What are you waiting for? Everything the devil's got promises the rainbow and delivers the rain, and you know it. Take the mask off. People are taking their own lives because they just can't take it anymore. A 14-year-old last week got on the hood of her mommy and daddy's Mercedes Benz, put a rope around her neck, and jumped off. How bad does the world have to be for somebody that's only been on this planet 14 years to hang themselves in an affluent neighborhood from a Mercedes Benz? One minute to midnight. 60 seconds between you and the decision that will seal your eternity. Every head bowed, every eye closed. No one looking around, no one moving. I feel eternity in this room. I feel the ageless struggle between God and Satan, between light and darkness, between heaven and hell. I feel it. There's warfare right now. What are you expecting? You young boys, you young boys over here, getting ready to go into tournament. I know what you're expecting. You're expecting to bring me that state trophy. I know that. I know a young man, 17 years of age, Cincinnati, Ohio playing in the state tournament. His name was Eric. Eric went to one of my buddy's churches in Cincinnati. That pastor went to him on a Sunday morning and said, Eric, the Holy Spirit tells me you're getting your last opportunity 
to say yes to Jesus. Eric said, Pastor, I'm the captain of a championship basketball team. Pastor, I'm dating the head cheerleader. And Pastor, I know I'm not doing what I should, but just as soon as we win this title, I'm going to give my life to Christ. Two days later, they took the basketball court, and in warm-ups, Eric got a puzzled look on his face and fell over on his face, a corpse. 17 years old, the perfect picture of health, but a brain aneurysm took his life. What are you expecting? If you're expecting tomorrow to be like today, you're not expecting him. This is it. I've told you when Jesus is coming. He's coming when you least expect him. So if I were you today, I wouldn't be expecting tomorrow. I'd make sure that I was right with God. I'd make sure that heaven was my home. I'd make sure my sins were forgiven. I'd make sure that I'd never know what hell looked like. You can do that. God's not mad at you. He loves you so much he refused to live without you. So he died on a cross. So you could be forgiven and have eternal life. Accept him today. Open your heart to him today. Make the choice you'll be glad you made. When the Kidron Valley is running with blood bridled deep to a horse, it's coming. Everything this Bible has predicted has come to pass exactly as it was prophesied. This is it. Tomorrow waits for no one. I can't wait for you. On three, you want to go to heaven and know it. You want to serve God and know it. You want your sins forgiven and to know it. You want to pillow your head tonight as sure for heaven as if you were already there. You may have tied your shoes for the last time. You may have unlocked your door at home for the last time. We don't know what waits us outside these doors, but we know what's waiting for your response right now. Jesus says, accept me and I'll set you free and give you eternal life. Make that choice. Only you can make it. Do it right now. When I say three, shoot that hand up in the air and let's pray. Don't let anything stand in your way. Don't go to hell for anybody. This is it. On three, raise that hand. Jesus is coming. One, two, three. Raise that hand and leave it up. Don't put it down. Don't put it down. Some of you clapping ought to be raising your hands. Put that hand up. Do what 650 people have done in four weeks. Raise that hand. Here's what we're going to do. We've been waiting for you. You raise that hand just as quickly as you can. Knock five people out of your way. And come on down here and let's pray. Come on. You can't do it in your seat. You can't do it in your seat. Every person Jesus called, he called publicly. He said, if you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you. In Elkhart, come on to Jesus. 
online. Come on to Jesus. Tell us, I'm accepting Jesus today. Come on, come. Look at this, church. Look at it all the way back the aisles. Somebody shout, somebody clap. This way come this way please come this way come this way I love to be a traffic director there they're coming there they're coming here they're coming there they're coming there they're coming what about you what about you tomorrow is promised to know what let's expect his coming still coming one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Come on. Come on. Why don't you make sure everybody around you here in Elkhart, they're in your home. Make sure everybody's ready to go to heaven. Just ask them. Ask them. Bye. They're still coming. They're still coming. You say, Pastor, why do you try so hard? You're all but begging. Well, then I haven't reached my goal. If you don't feel my heart begging you to miss eternity in hell, then I haven't done my job. I'm not here to entertain you. I'm here to warn you. I'm here to bless you. We're going to sing this song one more time. Why don't you do what 650 people have done in four weeks? Everybody in this room that only wishes you'd accepted Jesus into your heart one day sooner, I dare you to shout. He'll give you peace. He'll give you joy. He'll give you purpose. He'll give you a reason for living when dying looks easy. Come on. Give it all to him. We're going to sing one more time, and as we do, I want every single person to kindly turn to the person next to you or in another aisle somewhere and just ask them, are you ready to go to heaven? If they are, they'll say yes. Shake their hand, hug their neck, and shout hallelujah. But if they're not, they won't lie to you. A crowd like this intimidates people. They're not intimidated at Ohio Stadium with 110,000. But the devil makes them intimidated here. I bind every devil. I bind every lie and every deception that will cause anyone to make the wrong choice today. I want you to do that while we sing one more time. Offer to walk this aisle with them. Offer to pray with them. How tragic it would be for you to go home today unsure of tomorrow.
I feel the presence of the Holy Spirit. We're going to sing this time and that's it. 60 seconds. They must be coming over there. Yeah, there they come. Okay. Everybody pray. Pray out loud. Mean it. You ready? Yes. Lord Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus Christ. I come to you today. I was born a sinner and I have committed sins. I ask you to forgive me, give me eternal life, and I will live for you as you teach me how. I feel so good to be forgiven. I could almost shout. I could almost shout. Oh, why not? Hey, thanks for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed it, I want to invite you to tell someone in your life about the podcast. Hope you'll do it today. Head on over to iTunes and leave a review. Share it on your social networks for me. Really helps me get the word out. I'd love for you to connect with me on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. No easier way for me to minister to you every day and throughout the day and for us to join together in faith as God moves in and through your life. You can find links to all my pages at rodparsley.com. God bless you now, and I hope you'll listen again soon.